أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وآله الطاهرين اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد Last week uh, we ended on this point and note where where uh, he says Atul Jawadi says that there are some who uh, you know, are taking care of themselves and uh, shaitan is waiting for the right time and uh, when the time is right he catches them off guard and I gave an example for that and so uh, Jawadi actually gives this example too and because he's he's back home and he can he has a lot of examples that he can use for this back home we have this idea of <coughs> If you want to be, if you want to have a position in the country, and uh, you have to uh, you have to live up to the expectations of that position that you hold in an Islamic government like like home. <clears throat> but then you notice that uh, there are cases where people who um, take up certain positions yet they don't live up to those expectations. Is in reality what it is is that this person didn't have the test yet when the test comes they failed remember the example i gave what did we say in farsi a person who's a good swimmer there's no water for them to swim in right? or else they know how to swim another example i gave was like we all have a little yazid in us that if we don't take care of when the time comes it might come out i gave an example last week as well i want to explain that more <clears throat> and that was um people who for example are Growing up in the Hausa, yeah. When they're growing up in the Hausa, uh, we are in a very, <coughs> like we are quarantined, so to speak, and we are in an environment that uh, really is not very conducive to guna the way it is outside. Okay, we're not very conducive to it. So now this person comes out of that environment. Sometimes you'll find that okay, this person all of a sudden uh, things change. I mean, it is so. It is so spiritual. Well, it was back in the day. Now there's a lot of fast food joints and qom even, <laughs> and uh, lots of other distractions. But back then, it, it was like this: that uh, if someone wanted to do namaz shab, for example, <clears throat> and this was something they would tell us, and see how far it goes. I'll give you two examples actually, to show you how far it it can go. Being good, how far it can go. Okay. But then a person who comes out of this environment, they might struggle. Um, two examples. The first one being that uh, they would tell us, if you wake up for a namaz and you want to go to the restrooms, because every room didn't have a restroom. Every floor had like 40 dorms in it. And there was a restroom in the corner of every floor. Yeah. And so... That's where you would go for wudu. And so when you want to go in Iran, you don't walk barefoot outside. It's very dusty. Especially qum, very dusty. Here, it's all trees and stuff. God has blessed this land that we stole from the Indians and we mass massacred all of them. It's a reality. <laughs> and so here, like people, it's like, I, I don't have a problem walking outside barefoot. But in qum, you don't, well, you can't walk barefoot outside because everything's dusty. That they would say that uh, in order that when you're going in the middle of the night for wudu, your chapels don't make noise 
take your chappals off and walk barefoot to the bathrooms, right? So that it doesn't wake anybody up. So that's how extreme it gets, you know? That's the environment that you're in. So he was, so Jawadi, when he says there are some who are in a certain environment, when they come out of that environment, they better be ready or else, and they better hit the ground running or else they might mess up. This is what he's talking about. This is, where, this, is, this is a good example of it. Or I'll give you another example. Some of my friends actually from Tehran who had come, they weren't Hauza students, they had come once to our Hauza. They were so shocked at what they saw. So there's bulletin boards on every floor as well. And so you'll have people, <clears throat> when they find something, like a mechanical pencil, or like, I don't know, a tasbih, they would stick it to the board, and they would say, I have found this, and please, its owner, whoever it is, please come and claim it, or something like that, because it's not my property. And since I picked it up, it's wajib on me to find the, the owner now. So my friends had like taken pictures of these things in te- that were from Tehran. They're like, like <laughs> other places, people are stealing like shoes. Here, a mechanical pencil that was like pretty trashy, right? It's, it's nothing, there's no value to it. This person is... So precise, he puts it up there and he says, uh, I found this, whoever it belongs to, please come and take it. Yeah. So this is an environment that some people can, are, can be in. And then when they come out though, they have to hit the ground running. If they don't hit the ground running, and they're not ready enough, Allah Jawadi he says that that's where shaitan can come as well. So, <clears throat> I do want to clarify this point, I didn't say this last week, regarding this point that he's making here, Allah Jawadi. That uh, true, for example, in places like if you're uh, growing up in the Hauza, for example, or anywhere else that's very religious, this doesn't take away from the value of things. Yeah, sometimes people, they're quick to say, well, that doesn't have any value. What has value is to be in a setting that haram is around you and you stay away from it. Yeah, that has a lot of value, it's true. I don't know why this turned on. But... Um, <clears throat> What has a lot more value, I think, personally, is to put yourself in an environment that there is no sin around you. That itself is a struggle, actually, because you're missing out on a lot of things that might not even be haram. But in order to stay away from haram, you're putting yourself away from some of the halal things that might be pleasures of life, you know? That's one. And then two, we all need that head start in the beginning, especially especially when we're young. To, in my opinion, to reach a point where I am being completely obedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, yeah, and I get a taste of it, I know what it looks like to not sin too much or at all, inshallah. Yeah, to, to experience that. So this is what it looks like. So that when I'm out there as well, what happens is that I am I, I know what I'm supposed to aim for. I know what, what the result looks like. I know if I, if what I'm doing now matches what I was doing when I was in that specific environment. So it's not a bad idea. Some people really, and this is a reason why sometimes parents might not even let their kids be in, raised in a religious setting or go to an Islamic school. I've heard this myself. That no, no, we're, we're, we're growing up in this environment, in this country, and so our kids have to be familiar with how things work in this country. <clears throat> Put this here. That's true. That's true in a sense. But my wajib and haram and my akhirah is not something that I'm going to risk at all. Let my kid grow up in, an, in a good environment. The rest Allah will take care of. Let me put this here. She has tangled up. 
Oh, you came and got frightened. <laughs> Thank you. All right. That's number one. This is something that ulama they don't uh, they don't discourage to start off like this, especially when you're young. I've never heard a grand alim say, "Yeah, it's no there's no value to going putting yourself in a, a very good environment." What has value is to like you know go in a haram environment and but stay away from haram. None of them say that. It goes against aql and it goes against nakal. It goes against Quran, Hadith. It goes against common sense. Okay. But I say it's more than that. It gives you a good measuring stick. Really, I think it gives you a good measuring stick when you're out of that environment to be able to tell what's going right, what's you, what, what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong. That's one. Number two, last week we, we attacked the minor struggle it was called, remember? We said that during the Prophet's time, after the Prophet's time, there were some people who participated in the minor struggle with him in the battles. And they fought against the kuffar and the enemies of Islam, right? And then the Prophet told them that, look, you're done with the, with the small fight, now the big fight begins, which is fighting yourself. Um, but we have to understand this as well. We have to, and this is something that scholars also point out, that the, that small struggle, that minor struggle, the fight against the outward enemy, is preceded by what? Itself is preceded by a jihad akbar. Okay? Are you kidding me? You're not putting your money out there. You're not putting your time and energy. You're putting your life out on the line. So this is also something that sometimes, just because that there's a, the Prophet says there's a minor struggle and a major struggle, the minor struggle is fighting the enemy, doesn't mean that that minor struggle is not preceded by a major struggle. We have to understand that as well. And such a major struggle, such a major struggle, that Imam Khomeini said some of these shuhada, they traversed the path of spirituality that others have to do in a hundred years, they did it overnight. The shuhada of Karbala, same thing. Some of them, they made that decision in the last moments, right? So we have to understand that as well. Not think that okay, jihad, the, the smaller, minor jihad has no, uh, no value anymore. No, it's preceded by a very major struggle. Some fail, some pass it. Omar ibn Sa'ad, he spent all night trying to figure out which one he's going to do. And what did he do? He chose to be a loser. Yeah, so he, he failed the major, the major struggle. Alright, having said that, if, uh, if the worry is that uh, we are going to be, when the time comes, we might be caught off guard, right? And this enemy of ours, which is the self, will get the best of us. How do we stay diligent then? And not get caught off guard? The answer is, you pay attention and you stay diligent. Very simple. He calls it muraqaba and muhasaba. But there are two types of muraqaba and muhasaba. What we usually talk about with muraqaba and muhasaba, muraqaba means diligence, muhasaba means to reckon, to calculate, to crunch numbers, to go over what you've done throughout the day. This usually this term is used for the wajib and haram, of course. That uh, I think the seventh imam he said that that laysa minna mallam yuhasib nafsahu kulla yawmin marra. You're not one of the Shia if you don't go over your day. At least once a day, you go over what you've done uh, to to see what 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 you're doing. In other words, I mean, who who waits till the last day of taxes to do their taxes? Right? Who? 
Some people raise their hand. <laughs> what I mean by waiting to the last day, because I'm one of them probably, but like, no, what I mean by waiting to the last day is that who uh, who doesn't keep I don't know whatever their receipts and their and their their not all the other stuff that they have to keep so that they can calculate it in the end, right? That's something that we all like we have to do um, for the things that we're gonna write off from our from our taxes, right? <clears throat> it's just common sense. You, if you don't, you lose track, and you, a big chunk of you is taken out of you. Muraqaba and muhasaba is the same thing. You cannot expect to, just like another example you know is like dieting, you can't not have an app on your phone tracking your cal- calories, for example, and then expect to not have a sloppy diet. Yeah? It'll get sloppy if you're not constantly, unless you're just fasting all day. Right? Either you just like destroy everything by fasting, get rid of all the problem altogether. But if you're eating and you want to lose weight and look like me, <laughs> what you have to do is you have to track. You have to track your calories. Yeah, record them. Same thing here. Common sense, he says. He says the most important thing is muraqaba. But the part that he talks about is different than what we've usually heard. That hadith, for example, by Imam, the seventh Imam, or other ulama talk about muraqaba muhasaba is like when you're sleeping at night, you go over what you've done throughout the day. Oh, I did this wrong thing. I did that wrong thing. Astaghfirullah. This, this is what led to me committing this haram. Next time I'll get in the way of that. That's one form of it. And that's regarding the sharia. That is a must for all of us. But the muraqaba muhasaba he talks about here is a little bit more than that because it's more akhlaqi. So what he talks about is that... Um, he says, look at yourself, test yourself. Muraqaba, you know, means to look out. So look out for yourself and test yourself and see when, if this nafs is the enemy, if I want to, if I can, if, how can I be able to tell that this nafs, what it's wanting right now, is what's going to get in the way of my growth or not? This demand, this quote-unquote need of mine, is it a real need or is it a false one because if it's a false need that means I'm just feeding the monster and it's just getting fatter and stronger that monster being the enemy the self the nafs again what is the measuring stick for that because you have to watch out the measuring stick is this he says when you see that you give your nafs what it wants and after it receives what it wanted it says now I want something else yeah I want more. I want a higher version, a better version of it. He says, this shows that it was kadib. It was false. This type of muraqaba he's promoting. So this is beyond just the wajib and haram. And you know me, I don't like to go beyond the wajib and haram because our people, including myself, we're struggling still with the wajib and haram. Sometimes though, these are, motiv- these are motivation. They serve as motivation. That Oh, there's another level of muraqaba and muhasaba. Like it reaches a point where, and I don't want you to do this at all, but it reaches a point where some of these urafa, every spoonful, every bite they take, they're asking themselves after that bite, is should there be a next bite or not? You get what I'm saying? It reaches that point. So it says, and, and why is that the case though? Why is this the case? He doesn't explain here. My guess is this. What's wrong with wanting more if um, it's not haram? Yeah, overeating per se is not haram. Uh, what's it called? Uh, upgrading my uh, whatever my belongings, whatever I have that can be upgraded is not haram necessarily, and it's not always israf or anything. 
And he's not trying to say that you should keep it at a very low level either. But what's the reason that you even bring this whole idea of muraqaba and muhasaba up? I've seen him say this in other places. For example, the overeating part. He says that that will, that will tire the soul. When the body has to spend time digesting, for example, it tires the soul because there is a connection between the body and the soul. What happens there? The soul doesn't want to do, isn't ready to do what it, wanted, what it needs to do for more growth. Okay? I use this example for some people as well. I'm going to say it. Forgive me. The guy who wants to go get a second wife, for example. Okay? The question, when you talk to most of these brothers, or si- not sisters, brothers, <laughs> trying to like generalize, okay, the brothers that might be into this, they have their own reasons, some of them, some of it is justified even, whatever. But lots of times it's just a matter of wanting more. And so um, the thing is that that's more drama in your life. And that's more responsibility in your life. That's more time and energy going for something that might not have been very necessary actually. But you made it necessary on yourself. Uh, we've had this concept before that uh, uh, shaitan first convinces you that it's a need and then it happens. And then you go after it. He didn't say this thing that you don't need, let's go after it. He first proves to you, convinces you that this is a need and then you go after it. But the thing is, this new need of mine uh, is going to take time out of my schedule. It's going to cause me to lose focus in a lot of things. And so do I want that? I only have a little bit more of my life left to make the most of ibadah and other things that we'll talk about later uh, in the future maybe. <clears throat> and then I'm going to fill up my schedule with things like this. You want a new car? That means, new, uh, that means a new set of uh, payments and installments you have to live up to and you have to uh, deliver. Yeah? Once again, is it haram? No. But the one who is... Uh, really smart when it comes to these things, they're very selective. They will push it up and upgrade it to a point where I'm comfortable. Because if you're not comfortable, let me tell you this, if you're not comfortable at the same time, this body needs to be comfortable for the soul to be able to concentrate as well. I don't know if I've given you this story or not. I might have, I might have not. Allama Qadi, Rahmatullah Alayh, Bahjad's teacher. It's a famous story in that book. It's in that. It's in the book, uh, the, the Liberated Soul. It's in this book, this story, um, which I don't know why they've translated that book. They should not translate these books. One of the brothers from another city, he messaged me. He's like, I'm reading this book. I was like, okay, we'll, we'll talk. A few months later, he's like, I'm going crazy. I'm like, that's exactly what I thought. Some books are just not supposed to be translated. Okay? This one, in the beginning, it's nice, but then when you go on, it becomes a little problematic, hard to understand for some people. But anyway, um, the story goes like this, that uh, one of the students of Allah Maqazi, where did he meet him? His whole story begins with Allah Maqazi when he ran into him in a coffee shop back then. Qahwa Khane. Qahwa Khana. Do you have Khana in uh, Urdu? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So back then it was very frowned upon for a Mulana to be in a Qahwa Khane. Okay. <clears throat> If you want, back then, like a hundred years ago, if you wanted that, you had to get it through the drive-through. Don't go inside. Okay. So in Najaf, yeah, he sees him in a tahvikhana. He tells him, uh, Malana, this is not a place for you. And uh, you know what his answer is? He says, this soul needs a vessel. 
if the vessel is upset, is you know bothering it, it's not going to be able to do what it needs to do. So it has to have this ride. This body has to be comfortable to an extent. So this person will upgrade to a point where they are comfortable. <clears throat> but then after that, adding another ten, fifteen thousand dollars so I get another car now to extra that I might not really need. Every person is different, discretion is on us. That is more installment, more installments, and that's more of me being distracted. Houses, same thing. Yeah, there are some people out there I know that uh, <clears throat> they can bump it up, but they don't. Yeah. It's a very reasonable thing that they have right now. They can bump it up, but they don't. And this is uh, something praiseworthy. Yeah. So anyway, you get the point of what this muraqaba is for. He's saying that you have to keep this in mind because if you don't, before you know it, you're distracted from and putting more time into things that aren't even really worth it. Although it's not even haram anymore because we're not talking about haram and wajib right now. We're, we're, we're speaking a little bit more than that right now. So he says, I'm going to read off of this a little, just translate as I go on. When he wants to conclude, he says, the greats of akhlaq have said that uh, being a storage keeper is like a person who is sharpening a knife and doesn't use the knife for anything. Storage keeper. That's what he compares it to. He says when you keep upgrading, 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 making things better, adding, 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 you're a storage, you become a storage keeper. You're taking care of things in the storage. You've become a storage and you're keeping it for who? For the ones who come after you. Right? You're a storage keeper. <clears throat> this storage keeper is like a book that is full of knowledge and everyone reads it, reads it and benefits from that book. But since the book itself is just an object, it doesn't benefit from that knowledge and doesn't even know what it's, what it's bearing of knowledge. But if a person is like the sun, they're, they're, they're illuminating themselves, they're bright themselves, and they're helping others, and that's a different story. <clears throat> he says the, the, the reason why all these big, wealthy hukam and rulers of the world, they never get, they never get uh, satisfied, is because that's what's, that the problem with them is they're just running after a kathib need. That's what it is. And that's what shaitan does. And it's just like that uh, drinking the water, the seawater, where it just does not quench your thirst. <clears throat> and so he ends with this line. I really liked this line. رَغْبَتَ قَبْلِي وَزُهْدِ بَعْدِي نِشَانَيَ كِزْبِ تَلَبْ أَسْتِ He ends with this line. It's very nice. He says, A preceding رغبة or رغبة Yeah? a preceding inclination towards something and asking for something, followed by a zuhd and not liking it anymore, equals a kithb need, a, a false need, a kadib need. If you want to know if the need was false or not, if after you uh, achieve that thing, see if you're now looking at other things. Really, it happens all the time. You buy those sneakers, you buy that shoe, you buy that phone, you buy that laptop, you buy all that, and then the new one comes out. Just the next day when the new one comes out, you're thinking, okay, that one must be better. Like, it's not, they're kind of the same. The new version came out, they added one or two things, but it's the newer one. It's just how this dunya is, and that's what the struggle is for. That's what we're here for. We shouldn't be upset that this is the case. 
we are supposed to slowly grow and break out of this. This is part of the plan. This is part of the training we have to go through. We have to understand this. Some people, they get disheartened. They say, why is it like this? No, it's supposed to be like this. That's how dunya works. The beauty of the dunya. <clears throat> All right. He moves on now. He says, actually, he doesn't move on. He, to, to illustrate this even further, actually. And on the side, just to remind all of us. He says, look, there is a hadith by Amir al He says, Yabna Adam, kun wasiya nafsik fi malik wa'mal fihi ma tu'thir ay yu'mal fihi min ba'dik. That if there are some people who, no matter how much they get, they want more after, there are some who, because of this and as a result of this, they will do wasiyat and they will leave wills behind and they will say, after me, I want you to do this with my wealth, that with my wealth, that with my wealth. So what happened is they got whatever they wanted here and then in addition to that, they want to also have an effect on their wealth after they die. But Amir al says the opposite. Look what he says. He says, when it comes to your mal, for example, your wealth, act regarding your wealth, act towards it that the way you want it to be acted towards after you die. Be your own wasi. Don't make others your wasi. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the most of everything here and then after I'm dead and I can't make the most of it, now let's uh, have a wasi and do a wasiyat that, okay, this is what I want to be done with my wealth after. Like you don't even, even after your death, you, don't, you, don't, you, you want to have something to do with your wealth. It's, the, it's supposed to be the exact opposite the result of having the right perspective that we just went through, makes you your own wasi in this dunya. What does that mean? That means that, okay, I'm like, okay, after I die, I want this much of my wealth to go towards this cause. Instead of having someone else carry this out after my death, death as my wasi, what do I do? I am going to be my own wasi, I'm going to carry this out before I die. That's going to have a lot more effect on my growth, on my spiritual growth. Of course, a balance has to be kept. No one's saying give away half of your wealth or a third of your wealth or something. But this is a sign that someone's got it right. That they're their own wasi. Some people, when they pass away, they don't have anything to, 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 to leave a will behind for. Right? Because <laughs> why? Because they already did their wasiyat when they were alive. Yeah? Slowly, slowly, slowly. There's a lot of people that have this good trait in them, mashallah. It's good. But then he goes on, he says, and don't, just because we have this hadith doesn't, have, doesn't mean only our wealth. He says, we talked about muhasaba, muraqaba, same thing applies to, this same hadith applies to that as well. It applies to everything. He gives examples, he says, kun wasiya nafsik can also be kun hasiba nafsik. Be your own hasib before you die, before others are going to calculate for you. Hasib nafsaka qabla an tuhasab. We also have another hadith like that. That calculate things for yourself before others calculate. Who? The angels. I don't want no angel calculating for me. <laughs> I'll calculate for myself. I'll be on my, on my toes all the time. At least with the haram and the wajibat. Kun raqiba nafsik. Do muraqaba or else others are going to be watching. I don't want nobody to watch me. Mind your own business. I got, my, I got myself. Don't worry. Kun muhibba nafsik. All these things he says, they apply here. And I think... It all sums up in that one line that mutu qabla an tamutu. Right? All the things that are going to happen after I die. Wasiya, mizan, 
hisab, um, all these things, do it to yourself before you die, so you don't have to, you don't have to worry about it happening to you via others after you die. Yes. <clears throat> Let's move on now. <clears throat> if this nafs is the enemy, <clears throat> what's for sure is that reaching perfection is going to lie wherever this nafs does not lie. Anywhere there is nafs, there's no perfection there. Why? Because Perfection is other than myself. Therefore, I'm trying to simplify it as much as I can. Perfection will equal going to the root of all existence, which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright. So perfection lies in going back to the origin of everything, which is Allah. And that means that has nothing to do with me. Allah is other than me. The nafs has nothing to do with my kamal and perfection. Okay. Therefore, anytime there is nafs involved in anything, is there kamal going to be there or not? No. If there is 20% nafs, 20% kamal is missing. Okay? He says this. So, kamal is an obstruction. Excuse me. Nafs and self-centeredness. Being nafs-centric is an obstruction. We have to understand that. Question. Is It's an obstruction to... Uh, to reaching that perfection and kamal. But, does that mean that if I get rid of the nafs, and now the nafs is gone, that perfection is inevitable? He says, no. Just because something is an obstruction and you get rid of it, doesn't mean you've reached the destination either. You have to go from not being self-centric, or nafs-centric, Two, being Allah-centric. If you remove obstacles from a road, you're still not going to get to your destination unless you actually drive on that road, right? Until you reach the destination. And so here, he says, he makes this point, and he kind of opens it up a little bit. He says, don't think that if you're not going to be nafs-centered, that that's going to equal your kamal and perfection. No, 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 there's more to it. Because kamal was what? Kamal was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you have to have, you have to be Allah-centric. Okay. What comes out of that? What do we get out of this? This nafs, that was the problem. Wherever it is, it's an obstruction. But now you're telling me that's not even enough to get to Allah. I have to change everything. He says, everything else will also, anything other than Allah will go out the window. We have to understand. Some people are not nafs-centric. They're very humble. Yet Allah has not become the goal yet. And so what happens is this person relies on their own faza'il, on their own ibadah. We talked about this before as well. On their own wealth, on their own whatever it is. And this is that point I was trying to say, trying to make several times maybe even, I don't know, that uh, don't think that, uh, we shouldn't think that, okay, I did a mention this here, I did an ibadah there. These kinds of things are going to get us eventually to that destination we're supposed to get to. If you have Allah written all over it, maybe. But when you have Allah written all over it, you don't even see that thing anymore. This is the problem that a person like me will have. And I do that ibadah. When I have that knowledge, just the fact that I, I'm speaking, you know, more than I should be, than I deserve right now. I don't. I shouldn't be speaking about these things. But 
because um, I'm not this type of person. I'm not. I'm not trying to say that I know what I'm talking about right now. But the moment that <clears throat> you feel like yes, I have knowledge, that means this will kind of fall under nafs again. The moment you say, "Oh, I have this ibadah," I have this ibadah. <laughs> look, look, look. I have this ibadah. Did this sentence have nafs in it or not? Did it have the word I in it or not? It did. <laughs> so right there it shows that the I has to go. And this is what they call fana, fillah. That you just don't see yourself anymore. Now we can play games, we can act, you know, like we're, we're like this, yeah. Uh, but no, in the end, in the end, what gets you to the ultimate, that's if you have Allah written all over everything. So getting rid of nafs doesn't necessarily mean being a good person. Yeah? It's more than that. So once again, we're speaking akhlaqi here and irfani here. We're not speaking basic wajib and haram. Okay? Or else, what we're talking about right now, if a person is taking care of their wajib and haram, they don't have to worry about what we're talking about right now. But this is just, as I said, it's more motivation to know there's more going on out there as well. That if you say, I have ilm. Oh, you said I. I have uh, ibadah, I held this program, this I, there's an I in the sentence, that means that there's still some enough centeredness involved here, there's a problem, there's some obstruction, at least say we, <laughs> yeah, there's some obstruction there, once again, there's going to be mana there, you have to get rid of, this helps into the, in the Tawhidi perspective a lot, so khudabini, and being God-centered equals not being غير مين. غير means other than God. That's it. My, my merits, my virtues, my wealth, my ilm, all that stuff goes out the window. This is something very, very important. And you learn this as you grow up because you try so hard sometimes. If, especially if you're in the right setting and the right environment with ibadah, ibadah, ibadah. And uh, you've taken care of the wajim and haram as well. But you just feel like there's this one little magical touch that hasn't happened yet. Where is it? Why is it not working? This person indirectly is relying on their ibadah to get them somewhere. Remember I told you this before. I give you the example of the guy holding up a whole bus of people trying to pray namaz al-balabakt, which is good. But the way this person is dealing with it, that everything has to be sacrificed for this, shows this person thinks the only, what is getting them somewhere is namaz al-balabakt. No. Allah will take you even if you don't have namaz right? If you had, you know that if the if the circumstances were normal, you would pray it on time. That's sh- that should be enough. But sometimes we get so carried away. Shaitan, man, he has every every rope for every person. We get carried away with the ibadah. Even it becomes ibadah. That's the but becomes the program. That's the but becomes the center. Be- becomes the label. Becomes uh, whatever it is. In the end, there is some I in there. My ibadah, the one that I'm doing. On time, no, that's not what's getting you anywhere. Allah's getting you. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's why he says, he's, he's talking, when he's talking about how this helps the Tawheedi perspective, he says, he, he brings a, a, um, a line here, Sha'ir. Uh, he says, Garche tir az kaman hami guzarat, az kaman dorbinat ahl khirat. That true, that the arrow is that which is passing through the bow when you shoot it. That arrow is the one that's moving. But those who have khirad, 
they have understanding. What they see is, they see this from the one who was shooting the arrow, not the arrow itself. Very basic stuff. So he says, this, this line of poetry here doesn't have to do only with bow and arrow. It is, a, it, is a, it is an example, it's a metaphor. And what it's trying to say is that any good thing that reaches insan, reaches a person, and reaches the wayfaring individual, Allah is the origin of it. Not the person that brought me something or did something for me. And so he says, Oh Allah, I thank you that through the means of, by means of this person, my problem was solved. This salik, this is how he words things. Not necessarily when he's talking to people. Like think about it. If someone brings you something or takes care of your problem, you're not supposed to say to them, uh, Brother so-and-so, I thank Allah that through your means, uh, my problem was solved. No, you say thank you to them. Okay? When he says here, this is what the person says, not that, it means in their mind, their perspective again, is that my problem was solved by means of this person. By means of this person means Allah was the one behind it. They don't say, this person solved my problem. They don't say, first, avval khuda dovum filan shakhs, because we have this in Iranian culture as well. Like, yeah, I am relying on Allah first and then the doctor second. No, there is no first and second for a muwahid, for a real muwahid. And a real out of. Uh, yeah, first God, then so and so solved my problem. He says, no, 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 there is no second. Because this is a form of shirk. The first one he says is a form of ilhad, even worse than shirk. Ilhad? Yeah, ilhad means a total. Ilhad means when you don't agree, you don't, you don't believe in any God at all. Shirk means you believe in more than one God. Ilhad means you don't believe in any God. Right? Atheist kind of. And so, he says the first line that I said, that when, if someone says, thank God, this person solved my problem. Well, not thank God. This person solved my problem. That, he says, that's ilhad. <laughs> From an akhlaqi irfani perspective, of course. It's ilhad. Because you are giving all credit to this person. <coughs> all right. There's no God involved. Then sometimes he says, sometimes people say, no, 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 Allah first, this person second. Okay, so I acknowledge God's existence, but then I put someone next to him, shirk. Akhlaqi arfani shirk. Okay? <laughs> Man, we're in bad shape. <laughs> and then he says, and then there are some people who are just darn losers. Tafakkura <laughs> qaruni darad. Qarun was the one who during Prophet Musa's time, he came out amongst his people flashing them goods. And he's like showing all his stuff, all the good stuff he's got. Wealthy person. They said, uh, he said, I did this, this is all a result of me working hard and uh, I deserve it. And so the answer was that, uh, no, no, Allah has a, plays a part in this as well. And so eventually nothing really bad happened to him. He just got swallowed by the earth. That's, that's what happened to him, the Qur'an says. فَخَسَفْنَا بِهِ وَبِدَارِهِ I think, is that the verse? That him and his house were all swallowed up. But anyway, this is the third problem. So the first one is ilhad, second one is shirk. And some people are just qarun. That yeah, I did this myself. And I accomplished it myself. But once again, all of this is in the heart. All of this is in the mind, the perspective that we have. Or else, on the outside, we don't look any different than the kuffar. Yeah? We don't look any different than the gora kuffar. Right? Where they have no, they're working hard for life, we're working hard for life too. 
We're working hard as well. But when it comes to up here, we look at things differently, inshallah. And this is why he ends with this. He says that when we say don't be غير bin and seeing other than Allah, it doesn't mean that now, okay, I'm blind to everything else. No, I understand. This is a world of cause and effect. This is a world where Allah, the world that Allah has created and everything is a manifestation of Allah and everything is Allah's faith and, and grace and mercy is flowing through the things that we have in this world. But look, at the end of the day, God's grace is flowing. That's what it is. When uh, you have a, what's the word for it? Uh, water goes through that little thing on the roofs and it comes out, spout, goes out the, huh? The what? The gutter? Yeah, the gutter. Is that what it's called? All right. Yeah, yeah those things. <clears throat> hey, yeah. The gutter. No one, uh, when, when it's raining hard and everything, and there's water coming out, everyone's so happy, oh, there's water coming. Um, no one gives the, gut, the gutter credit. <laughs> the water that's coming out is what matters. Yeah, You've seen the Kaaba, it has that golden, what is it called? It's like a spout. Yeah, where the, when, If it rains on the roof of the Kaaba, it pours out from there. Yeah, Everyone will go under that water. Yeah, even, the, even that spout, which is made of gold, people usually don't give it too much credit. Why? Because it doesn't, oh, it doesn't uh, deserve any credit. What is the or- origin of life? It's the water, not anything else, right? It's the cha- this is just channeling that water in a certain direction. So yes, he says, if we say we're not going to be nafs-centric, we're not going to be other than Allah-centric, and we're going to be Allah-centric, doesn't mean that there's no gutters in this life. It's all gutters that are channeling Allah's mercy and grace. Okay, Allah is going to do it through them. And he finally ends with this with this uh, last point. He says, okay, we talked about the nafs being the enemy and all of that. Uh, and wherever the nafs is, there is going to be no perfection there. But he says it's, it gets even worse than this. A person that is khudmin and nafs-centered, this person is just stupid. Humq and ahmad this person is. right? Because, especially those people who like to be praised, this person from an akhlaqi, irfani perspective is stupid because they don't understand that if there is going to be any praise even that's going to come their way because of the gutter example that I gave is just secondary for this person. It doesn't belong to this person. All praise is due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because all perfection is there. If it's coming to me, which is I and nafs, once again, we have the same problem. There is no perfection here. Remember this, I and me equals lack of perfection. So if anything is coming in this way that doesn't deserve, that this naf doesn't deserve, if I am attributing it to it, it's stupidity. So if someone gets happy when they're being praised, it is an akhlaqi slash irfani stupidity that they have, that they might get happy by getting praised. It's okay to be happy, but from an irfani perspective, it's stupidity because this person doesn't really get it. Just like how we look at a kindergartner or first grader and they'll say something, we'll say this kid is too small to understand the reality of things. What they said isn't accurate, is false. Yeah, The same way, this person who's a grown-up from an Irfani perspective just doesn't understand. They're a kindergartner. Why? Because they don't have the ma'arif to understand that. No, no, no. You don't get happy when you get praised. Now a person like me will try to act like I'm not happy when I'm getting praised. That's one thing. But to actually understand that no, praise doesn't come here. 
it belongs somewhere else because here is all the flaws. Here is all the imperfections. Because there's ana, there's nafs. Yes? Because of that, it shows that this person is uh, just doesn't get it. And the word ahmaq he uses here is for that person. Ahmaq means a person who can't use their mind correctly. Any questions before we end? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, so that's a good question. So brother says, the, the verse that says, إِنَّ salati wa nusuki wa mahyaya wa mamati lillahi rabbil alameen In this verse where, I think it's Prophet Ibrahim, where he says, my, my salat, my rituals, everything that I do is for Allah. Yes? Here from an Irfani perspective, when he is attributing it to himself, what he might be saying is that the, 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 the salat that comes from me, not that it's my salat, the salat that comes from me, that is emanating from me, is being produced by me. Yeah. At the end of the day, he understands that, yes, I am acting, I am doing something. Yeah. This is versus the one who says, my salat. I have something that belongs to me, that's my salat. This is going to get me somewhere. As a matter of fact, Prophet Ibrahim, when he says that, when he says, my salat, my fasting, whatever it is, my rituals, all that stuff, he says, lillah. It's for Allah. So right there, he wipes out the myself. It, it's my salat, but it's Allah's salat. It belongs to him, not me. In other words, Allah, I'm just sending this to you. You do what you need to do with this. It's all you. You're the one who has to take this now and take this material, this raw material that I'm sending your way and use it for my growth. Lillahi Rabbil Alameen. Or else, uh, he, that's why he didn't end the sentence by saying, Hadihi salati wa nusuki wa mahyai wa mamati. Finished. No, no, Lillahi Rabbil Alameen. And uh, that's something that uh, we're supposed to also keep in mind. It's not just Prophet Ibrahim. So, uh, any other, anything else? What to Habun al Mala ala Hubbihi? Hubban Jamma. What's your question? Is it an example of this storage thing you're talking about? To Habun al Mala Hubban Jamma. It results in that. Yeah, you love wealth so much, you do anything for it. And what happens is you give your life for it, you give your time, your energy for it, you don't get anything in return. Yeah, it's a problem. So that's lo- that love of dunya is what leads to all these problems. Hubbud dunya ra'su kulli khati'ah. At the end of the day, love of dunya and anything that's affiliated with dunya is what uh, is what causes a lot of problems. And it's cool. This hadith doesn't say ra'su kulli ma'siyah. It says ra'su kulli khati'ah. Right? Sometimes even what you're doing isn't haram. But from an akhlaqi perspective and a irfani perspective, it's a mistake to be that, that shouldn't be made by a person like you. But when you really trace it back, it goes back to hubbud dunya in the end. Alright, so we'll end here. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. Salawat.